Welcome to Tuesday night Bible study. We're going to start out with a little word of prayer and then we will uh, move on to what we have to say tonight, continue our series. Um, I'll just start out in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us and thank you for your protection and your hand on us. We ask especially that you would watch over our country, give us wisdom in what to do and what to say. Help us to listen to you and help us this night. May your spirit be with us. Open up your word and the things that you have to say to us and help us to be thinking about what it means to us this day. Thank you for what you've given to us. Be with us as school winds up and throughout the end of this year. Uh, be with everybody here and watch over them and those who are watching out there too. We thank you for what you that you have for us that are special each and every day in your name amen okay well we started a new series last week does anybody know was it freedom yeah freedom okay <laughs> yeah like liberty too was that part of it so yes uh freedom and liberty are all essentially words that can be used interchangeably okay so let me write those down so we can start out. Freedom, liberty, essentially they mean the same thing. And the question is, and I, I've heard people answer this, what, what does freedom mean to you? What does it mean to you? What can you do because you're free? I can say whatever I want. Okay, you can say whichever you want. Actually, the, it's been proven that amendments don't change that anyone that's What can you do because you're free? Technically, the freedom of amendments, like freedom of speech, don't apply to anyone underneath the age of 18. Yes, they do. It applies oh. to everyone. Okay. And I should be able to only down, but I can't. Legally. That's legally. It's the second. Now, but what does freedom mean? It means being allowed to do what you want to do. Okay. Like having will over yourself. Okay. Over your own person. Having will over yourself. And if you're living in a country that has some freedom, we'll say, okay, all freedom is not just free to do anything and everything. A lot of times, freedom has something, it comes with something. All right, and if we go to James chapter 1, verse 25, and we actually started a series on Sunday morning in the book of James, but if you go to James chapter 1, verse 25, where we first started out, uh, actually I think it was the second lesson, we talked about this verse. This is an important verse. This is an inspiring verse. This is something to get down to the core of freedom. Of liberty, okay? So if you would read that, please, that would be great. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. Okay, so James talks about the perfect law of liberty. Now, is that an oxymoron? If you have laws... How can you have freedom? Uh, Don't laws restrict you? Not no, laws. they depends on the law because like the the commandments <laughs> are laws, but they don't restrict like they restrict your freedom in a good way. Okay. <laughs> they make you free from the other people. Free from the other people. Okay, that's that's good. They keep you free from totalitarian governments and communism. Okay, and that's another thing is. Governments that would take over, uh, law is a standard, okay? That's what it is. It says that one of, one of God's laws, okay, is, one of the, is any of the Ten Commandments, okay? Can you name one of them? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. So, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. So, how does that keep you free? Oh, because I can go in the street and not get murdered. Okay. <laughs> and, and if you're dead, 
I guess you're not free here, right, anymore. You're kind of more, <laughs> more free, but not here, right? right? Not within, because if anybody can just go out and kill at random and have the freedom to do that, then, then really you don't have the freedom to live if they have the freedom to kill you. Right? So God's law is a perfect law in that it does not take away freedom, but it provides you the most freedom that you can have within a framework. Does that make sense? It's, it's really a way that you as a human being can become the most that you can possibly be. And so God came with his law and said, thou shalt not kill, and thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal, I think. Thou shalt not steal. Okay, there's another one. Now, why does that give you freedom, thou shalt not steal? It means that none of our stuff can get stolen. Okay, so you are protected with having stuff. Yeah, doesn't burglars still steal anyways? They do, but it's against the law for them to do it. They get arrested and die from disease in prison. Okay, <laughs> well, maybe. They at least, hopefully, get arrested and convicted on the law, which brings you freedom. So, there's a good thing that says you can't steal, right? Now, there is something deeper yet. And those I talked about, those Ten Commandments. Lots of them, okay? Ten Commandments. Now, I said that's God's perfect law. Is that God's law? No, those commandments. Well, God yes. Is that everything in God's law? No. When Jesus came, what did he say about the commandment of thou shalt not kill? Okay, so there's something deeper than just the don't do it. There's something deeper, which is what, what's behind the what's behind it? It fleshes it out a little better. What's behind that? What's that word? There's a big word that we use, it's a small word actually, that starts with an M. Motive, right? So there is a motive behind not following each law or behind following each law, okay? And the motive is what Jesus said really fulfills that law. So we're going to look at that through this series. And last week you touched on a person. Anybody remember his name? Probably not, but there's a challenge for you. John? No. It's Stephen something. How's that? I'll give you that. Stephen Langston. Stephen Very close. Stephen Langton. Langton. Yes. Stephen Langton. He lived back in the 1100s through the early 1200s. It was the, the Magna Carta. And he came up with a document essentially saying, King John, you are not allowed to do anything you want to do. We won't take it as a people. Now, who's Stephen Langton? He was essentially a preacher, priest, bishop. Okay, okay. okay. He's a religious guy, believes in God. And why does he care about the, the people? Because of God or something like that? Because God says, God says... Treat your neighbor like you want that and yes what were you gonna say that's a good one says he also said love your neighbor as you love yourself okay love your neighbor as yourself okay love your neighbor which is also it's got a little name that people have used right Treat others like you want to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's that rule? We call it the, the golden rule, okay? So everybody's have has agreed for many, many generations, hey, this works better when you do this. Now, why does it work better? Because you only truly hate people if you hate yourself. 
But most people actually care about themselves. Okay, and, and treat other people as much as you really care about yourself. So give them, a and then if you do that, you're not going to kill them or anybody they love and because your motive is love. And technically, if you hate someone, then that truly means that you hate yourself. Okay, and that may, it may be true, and that, that type of a motive gets deep down inside of a person, okay, and that becomes the core of something that changes the face of you to start with. And then if you teach your family that or your friends that, it starts to seep into your group of friends. And then if you teach a group of people around you, the group grows. And eventually, that type of thing, if you, if you continue to propagate it, it goes into a nation. And but, then eventually the world, about it. And the world, eventually. But what I'm going to tell you is, I am, as, as I talk to you and Jacob talks to you about the things in this, this lesson or this series on freedom and liberty, we are going to look at kind of the core of our nation. It may not be all the people that you have heard about, and, and it may surprise you some of the things that they did, but the core of our nation and what they said and did and how they started it is shocking compared to what they think it is today. It doesn't look at all like what many people believe this nation is about today. Okay? So freedom and liberty is a, is a freedom within a perfect law of liberty. Okay? If you want perfect freedom, then what you do is treat people with perfect love. That's how you get it. Your motives are right and your neighbor is treated well, and your family is treated well, and, and, and even your enemies are treated well, if you treat people through the perfect law of freedom. And that core belief is where we started. We started at the Magna Carta because there were, it was five, six hundred years, before this nation even began. Okay? But when this nation began, there was a motive behind it. We're going to look at that motive. Now, Stephen Langton was important because he was one of the first people in modern history, we'll call it, to stand up to a leader. There have been many, many in the past, but he was a, one of the first leaders to stand up and come up with the Magna Carta. Okay, and that Magna Carta basically said, King John, you cannot mistreat your people. We want fair and equal treatment. You can't treat, uh, you can't treat Bob different than you treat Michael. Can't do it. You can't hit someone just because you don't like them. You have to treat them fairly. You can't just come and take our lands. You can tax us, but you can't just take everything we own because it's what we have to live on. All right? And John did not want to sign it. And in fact, he refused to sign it. And he says, this is garbage, is what he said. And he refused. And then... Stephen Langton and a group, a large group of people, got an army together and marched on London and surrounded him. And he said, where do I sign? <laughs> Basically, because he was outnumbered by the people at that point. Okay? So, an, an interesting fact is John couldn't even sign his own name. Oh my God. Signed it with an X. And that was how you get an X as your... Because he wasn't even literate enough to sign it with his own name, the king. All right. So is he ruling his people by love? If he was ruling his people by love, there wouldn't be a problem. He'd be thinking about them. But that's not that's not the way that he was. And so they said, "You have to treat us the same." 
and you have to give us some amount of freedom and you agree and we agree together and we make a pact and sign a document, okay? We sign a document and this is why it is important because people in America, when they came to America, remember they were under England when they came to America. And when they came to America, they set up their own local governments when they got here. Almost every single one started with their own separate set of rules that they could all live by. Most of them were filled with God's law. Okay? Most of them. We're going to look at a few different things and a few different characters as they hop through history, but it defined who we were as a nation. So we're going to look at a guy tonight. Uh, he runs into another king. He lives in England. Okay? He lives in England, and his name is John. Another John? Another John. This guy's a better John, okay? John comes along. He lives in England about 350 years after the Magna Carta is signed, okay? And he lives under a guy named King Charles. He lives under a guy named King Charles. And King Charles has disagreed with a large group of people about serving God. Okay? Now, in England, it was typical, and this happened with the thrones back and forth. As the kings changed and queens came along and kings came along, they each had a different thrust, essentially. And some of them stood for the Roman Catholic faith, and that's what we're going to do. And other ones came along and said, no, we are for the Protestant faith, uh, and that's what we're going to do. And other ones said, well, we're for this, but not those people. Okay? And so what happened is each one came along, and they actually ended up persecuting one arm of the church, one arm of the people that believed in God, each and every time some different king came along. Well, King Charles did not like a group of people called the Puritans. Now, the Puritans believed strictly in the Bible. They believed strictly what God said, and their name tells you what they wanted to do with the church. Purify. Okay? They wanted to purify it. And they came in and said, we want the church to come back to God. We want the church to uh, turn over and get back into the basics of the Bible. Now, this is after Martin Luther comes along. I think it was around 100 years or so after Martin Luther comes along. There's been many movements of Protestant churches, and then there is a backlash against many of them as well. Okay, So King Charles does not like the Puritans. He wants things to stay as they are. There is one church. It's not like our country where you get Roman Catholic churches and other Protestant churches, okay? Though you had those people, it was the church, and you either believed or you didn't, depending on how the crown swayed in the wind that day, okay? There were people that did terrible things to Christians because they believed in God. But at the very same time, many of those people came out with some of the greatest the absolute best literature and things that they said and did because of the persecution. So understand, the persecution is when the church grows the most, okay? If they are pushed and pushed hard, and this has gone on through every single history of each country almost, anyone who has had believers, they get persecuted, or in other words, they get uh, picked on, essentially, they kind of go underground and protect themselves a little bit. And then what happens is underground, the church grows and grows and grows and grows and grows bigger and bigger and bigger. Because 
there becomes a reality. They lean closer to God, and God helps them grow in their faith. Okay, It's a hard road, but it is the road in history that's happened this way. So within the church, there is some groups of people. There are some that say we're, we're Puritans, we want to purify the church. And then essentially, there are some that come out of a group that are called separatists. And they say, we can't fix this church, we got to go. Now John was not one of those. He wanted to help and change the church. At that time, he was asked to stay in England by a man named Oliver Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell was a guy who ended up being a great protectorate of the, the church and, and many of the uh, Protestant religions, Okay, the ones that kind of spun off. He was there to protect them. He basically got an army and overthrew the king at one point. Okay. John was asked to stay by Oliver Cromwell, and he says, I'm not going to stay. There's an opportunity just opening up. Ten years ago, well, probably 20, 22 years ago or so before, they had sent people to America. England began to send out little groups of people. Where'd they send the two, where'd they send the first one to America? There were two really old settlements in America. First ones came over from England. Anybody know? Jamestown was, was one of the oldest ones, okay, by about 12 years or something like that, 1608. And then what's the famous one? What's that? Well, just the, just the, the pilgrims essentially came along into Massachusetts, okay, in the 1620s, okay? Now, there were some more settlements and little groups of people that came along within, within the, the Jamestown settlement, and there were some more that came along uh, with the pilgrims, but essentially about 10 years after the pilgrims show up, John Winthrop is his name, show, decides to get a bunch of people together and leave England because he wants to worship in freedom. So what he does is he leaves England. I think he had seven or eight ships that went with him. Um, and with that, he had been, he ends up going over and starting the, a colony called the Massachusetts Bay Colony, okay? Now, why does he leave? Well, he used to have he used to have a place in the king's court. John Winthrop was a fairly high up person in the king's court. And since there was corruption in King Charles court, there's a bishop that comes along and hooks up with with King Charles and says, "We're going to get rid of all of these Puritans. We don't want anybody that wants change. We are going to oppress them and we are going to shut them up. And when you get corruption in power, the first thing they want to do is stop the voices. Right? Ever heard of something like that? <laughs> right? Means you don't have freedom anymore to say what you want. We are taking that freedom away, and we're telling you what the story is. Here's how it goes. Here's what you say. This is why we are talking about this freedom. Because there is, there is an important piece of this freedom to understand what you have in liberty. We are vicariously close to the edge in our country of total change in freedom, okay? We are right on that edge. We are living dangerously on the edge. So you are the generation. You're going to have it or not with what happens now in history. 
your lives may be totally different. And so you need to know how things really have worked in history. How they really have worked where God has looked across history and said, we'll do this in this place. We'll do this and allow this to happen here. Okay? Understand the motives behind what people did and how God reacted with those motives. And when those motives were bad, things that happened. And when those motives were good, the things that happened. All right? This is why it is absolutely critical for you to know it. You may or may not ever teach you this in school. You may or may not ever find these things. I literally have to go back in a lot of older books to find stuff. Stuff sometimes is out of print. Even to find who these people are. Okay? They are who defined it. So they, he was shut down in the king's court and basically... What King Charles did is there was Parliament. And what does Parliament do in England? They're like the government. They're, they're like, which, which branch of our government? Oh, the, the tradition. Like Congress, okay? They have two houses. They have the House of Lords and the House of Commons, okay? And essentially, those are the rich and the poor people get uh, actually get their say. Okay, the House of Lords and the House of Commons. Different than our government in, in some ways, but the same. And essentially, King Charles came along and said, I don't like what they're saying and what they're doing. I'm shutting them down. You can all go home. I don't care what you say anymore. I'm doing this. Okay? And when someone gets a hold of power like that, you have to beware of what power does to people. It corrupts them. It does. It corrupts them. So let's look at Proverbs chapter number 29. An important basic verse. Proverbs chapter 29. Verse number 2. Proverbs chapter 29, verse number 2. If you want to read that, please, nice and loud. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked bear is ruled, the people mourn. Okay? So, when the righteous are in authority, people rejoice. So, people that, leaders that do right, leaders that do right, make what kind of people? Happy. Happy people. And those who are what? Wicked. Wicked. Make what kind of people? Sad people. Sad, groany people. Okay? They groan under not only that they're sad, but they groan under the weight of what is put on them. Burdens. So, a righteous leader, a person that does the right thing as a leader, will work under... God's law of liberty. That's what it's saying. He puts the law of liberty and enforces it, which means behind it, we're going to follow God's laws. Our motive is important, and I am going to essentially treat you as you want to be treated. So what does he have? He has respect, right, for the people. He respects the people. A wicked leader does not respect the people. They don't care. You are a means to an end for them. Right? I get my power, I get my money, I get my status from you by ruling over you. And if I need to crush you to get there, I don't care. Because my motive is that I want what I want. And as a leader, they get to affect more people. Now understand this, as a leader... They are also responsible to God to stand before Him someday. Okay? They will stand before Him and answer for what they have done. Each and every leader. So will a righteous leader. And the righteous leader says, I'm going to give you more freedom by saying, let's watch our motives behind us. Let's, let's follow those things in which they protect people. 
okay? The core of what we have as a nation comes from the basis of this. The reason we have freedom is because we basically mimicked God's law and said, this is going to be our law. Okay? That's why it's illegal to murder somebody. This is going to be our law. We're going to make it. Because God said, don't do it. Okay? And you'll find that a lot of the older laws, the further you go back in this country, the closer you find it actually to God's law. And some of it's actually just taken right from God's law. Okay? Some of it's written in the English of the day or whatever, but many of them are just quotations. Okay? And not trying to reinvent the wheel, say, I'm, a, I'm an important guy, I'm, I figured something out. They're saying, if we follow this, we're going to be okay. okay. They understood that, and that's what is lacking today, is an understanding of, if you follow God's law, you become free. Righteous leaders make happy people. Because it takes away their burdens. Okay, They work for them, and it takes away their burdens. Wicked people make sad, wicked leaders make sad people. People that groan under the burden. Okay? So that, that's an important thing because they take away the freedom. All right. So, John Winthrop. Okay, that's his name. John Winthrop. John Winthrop goes to America. Now, it is not the United States at this point. It is a territory of England. He is still under the king. But he is far away from the king, right? And so if you go far enough away from the king, he can't be as cruel and punishing to you because you're not right under his nose. So essentially, the people that went over to America went to look for freedom to be able to worship how they wanted. He can control the church thousands of miles across the ocean, but he can't control it when you're in America because he's just too far. It takes a couple of months or a few months to cross in a boat, and you, don't, you can't call them. You don't have a video to check on them. So essentially they are free to make their own way in America. <coughs> so when they get there, he goes to the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and he begins to write uh, some things on his journey across the sea. He writes something that is for New England. Okay? Not the old England, but the New England. Okay, and what is New England now? What do we, what do we call New England? You ever heard of the New England states? Oh, it's like Maryland, Delaware. No, right? you're close. You're close, a little more north. Connecticut's one, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Vermont, New Hampshire, okay, that group of them are the New England states, okay, and up into Maine also, well that's, that's a little bit different, but it, it's essentially how what we've called New England, the reason it retains the name New England, because originally when people came over from England, they said, well this is just New England, versus regular old England. Okay, so you get a lot of that. People came over and settled, some of the Dutch people came over and ended up settling in New York. Before it was New York, it was New Amsterdam. Okay, Amsterdam's a Dutch type colony, okay? And New Amsterdam was, was a Dutch settlement that came into New York. Now, that was not too much later that was still in the 1600s. But the first ones were this Massachusetts Bay Colony and some others. So he came over. 700 people came with him in 1630. So this is 10 years after the Pilgrims. Now, if you come over with 700 people, a bunch of ships loaded with 700 people, we're here. That's it. What do you got? You got no place to live. You probably have very little food at the time you get here, okay? And you've got to decide before you get off how you're going to live. 
And so John Winthrop starts writing some things and saying, Here, here's how we need to live. And they essentially adopt some of the things that he says. This is a great idea. Let's do this. And then they say, we need a leader. And so Winthrop, John Winthrop, becomes the governor of what is now Boston. Okay? Boston didn't look like it looks right now. It was just a bunch of trees on the edge of the ocean, okay, and a little bit of beach, and that was it. They said, here we are. We're going to make a city. And so they began with 700 people, and it grew, okay? And the Massachusetts Bay Colony was the bigger group of it. You have groups that split off. Within the next, by, by 1646, 20,000 people living there. People keep coming over and coming over. Why did they come? Because they thought more freedom, we could kind of do what we wanted, and the king wouldn't be able to watch it. But technically, he had soldiers there that could stay in the house anytime. Not yet. No soldiers there yet. It was only these people here. They didn't have soldiers yet. The only soldiers that came across were those people that were protecting. The groups, okay? And they were soldiers that essentially, most of them weren't really necessarily soldiers from England, but a few of them were trained, okay? And they would send them over to protect because England wanted something. And what do they want? Why are they settling? Why are they agreeing to send people over and send ships? How do they pay for the ships? I mean, you send people away, you're sending your workforce away, and you're sending your ability to tax people away, so well, why are you sending them away? Most of the time they actually sent them for, like, to grow sugarcane, because they couldn't really get that, and they were sick and tired of kind of Well, they sent them for, not sugarcane here, but they sent them for raw resources. Okay? You go over, and you send back the things that you get from America, which were raw resources. England had been uh, cut down, chopped down trees for generations and generations. So there were very few actual real big woods left and all of the woods ended up belonging to the king at the time, okay? So the king made a rule, right? Who needs the wood? If you're gonna go out, Gideon, you're going to go and you've got to survive in your little hut. You're going to live in a hut, okay? And you've got to survive in your hut. What do you need every day to survive? Food and water. So what kind of food are you going to get? We could hunt. They could hunt animals sometimes. You could hunt. Oh, okay, we're, we're listening to Gideon. He's got his ideas. You could farm, okay? So where do you farm? On flat land. On land? Not on my land, I'm the king. You don't own land. Because I own it all, right? <laughs> right? So, right there, you got a little problem to start out with. So, you're going to pay me if I let you farm on my land, you're going to pay me for that land in taxes, in, say, you grow sheep, okay? Sheep and pigs. How's that? Okay. <laughs> you're going to grow sheep and pigs, and we're going to say that, okay, you're going to grow 200 sheep and 200 pigs. You owe me 100 of them every year to stay there. Okay? And then you've got to also survive on it, and you've got to get other things. So you got sheep and pigs. Now, do I just go out and take a bite of them? No. You cook them. So what do you need to cook them? Stove. Got to have st a stove or some sort of cooking place. You got to have wood to burn, right? So what you did is you can go and you're allowed. Eventually, all the wood all around you is all gone, right? Because you're cooking every day. And then you go and you say, "Hey, there's a whole bunch of woods out there." And the king says, no, you don't. It's mine. It's my land. I own the wood. And so he says, you can't touch it. 
And then people begin to starve. And he says, all right, anything you can get off the ground, you can have. You can't Don't you cut a tree down. You can't pull a tree out of the ground really that much. Can't pull a tree out of the ground. So then what happens? Well, the ground's clean. Then where do you get wood? We're all out of wood again. People are starving again. Okay, you can break off the branches off of a tree, but don't cut a tree down. As far up as you can reach, you can break branches off. If I find one branch broken above your head, I'll have your head. What if someone else broke it off? Because you're stealing from the king. Well, I don't care. I'll take the whole, the whole colony out of people. You want to steal from me? I'll show you. Okay, that's the way they were treated. Eventually, it got to be where they were starving because there was no wood. And we get the kings then in England says, okay, you take a shepherd's staff with a hook on the end and anything you can reach and grab and break off, you can have that. And that's where we get the phrase by hook or by crook. Okay, anything by hook or by crook, you can take down. And that's as, but people lived hand to mouth where they survived. You come to America, the whole thing is filled with trees. First guy comes back says, you should see this place. I mean, there's just trees everywhere. Got to bring back wood. Got to bring back lumber. So people are sending ships over because you need people over there to cut down the lumber, to get it sawn up, to get it so you can transport it back over. And they want gold, and they want anything they can get their hands on that they're going to get money for. Yes, eventually they get into sugar cane and all those things. That anywhere where they can make, excuse me, make money, that's what they're doing. They're all merchant ships. We're going to fund this after a little bit. We're going to fund these to go and bring back stuff to us. You fill that ship up with everything we can make money at. We bring it back to England, and we make a killing if you get all the way there and get all the way back. Okay, so that's how many people got over was with that. Now there were a few that the king said, I gotta go over and plant some people over there so we can start to bring money back. And they would send them over like that, the very first few. Okay, but after that, 20,000 people show up and all of a sudden, Winthrop's 700 people grows to 20,000 people. He is the governor of a huge group of people. All right, and so what does he do? What does he do? Well, he said, I want to follow some rules of God specifically. One of his favorite verses was Micah 6.8. Look at Micah 6.8, please. It's in the last part of the Old Testament. Micah 6, 8. It's one of the little tiny books. One of the minor prophets at the end. Micah chapter 6, verse number 8. This is John Winthrop's, one of his favorite verses. This is what he wrote in some of his documents. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to live. He has shewed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but... To do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. So this is, here's what God requires of you. Here's how we're going to live. What does this talk about? This talks about motives behind things. To do justly. Okay, so we're going to have a just people. Means I'm not going to mistreat you any different than I mistreat you. You're going to get justice. You're going to get justice. Okay? You steal his sheep. We're coming after you. Okay? Not allowed. We're going to make sure you get justice. So don't steal, steal Gideon's sheep. All right? So... Like don't steal anything. Right. To love mercy. You're going to have some cheats and sneaks and thieves and things like that. All right? You're going to have some people that are not so good. But we will not treat them with cruelty. We'll, we'll have justice and we will have mercy. That's how we're going to run this. And to walk humbly with God. This is why we're going to treat people. This is the course of what we're going to do. He said the reason we have to do this 
And this was in one of his written documents he wrote while he was coming on his ship over. It was adopted by the entire Massachusetts Bay Colony and a whole bunch of other colonies all around. They adopted this. For we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are on us. Okay? What does he mean it's going to be a city on a hill? One time, I was driving across country uh, a long time ago. Um, I was in my 20s, and I was driving across country, and I drove through Iowa. <sighs> Iowa is about as exciting as watching paint dry. I mean, there is nothing but cornfield after cornfield, and I'm sure I know some people that live in Iowa. They are lovely people, but it's not exciting if you're driving on the interstate. Just and not just nice. huge, huge cornfield. And it I mean, kind of blind, drove and drove and drove, and I think I drove like eight hours. And it, it didn't matter if it was light or dark. I was driving through, it was just corn, corn. I saw one windmill. And I was like, ooh, there's a windmill. And it was gone. <laughs> That's it. That was it for like seven hours. Finally, I got to the edge of Nebraska. Right on the edge. Now, Nebraska's not much better, okay? Except I was driving and it was dark. And I was looking for, I had a little while to go before I was going that. And I think I was driving about 10 hours that day. And there was a big city and it was called Council Bluff. Council Bluffs, Nebraska. It was just on the border. It was like, here it is, there's Nebraska. And this huge lit up city was out amongst all the little tiny foothills. There wasn't a lot. It was striking to see it, especially after you just spent eight hours crossing Iowa and trying to stay awake because it was that exciting, okay? If you have something that stands out, a city that stands out, it leaves a mark. That's been more than 20 years ago, okay? I remember the feeling I had when I saw it. It stood out. And that is what John Winthrop is saying that they're going to be is this city on a hill. Now, why does he use those words? You ever heard of those words? Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter number 5, verse 14, 15, and 16. Fourteen, fifteen, and 16. Anybody have uh, red letter editions? So you have red stuff in your Bible, right? Who said the red words? Jesus. Jesus said the red words. What color are these words? Red. red. So these are Jesus' words. And this is exactly what he used in his document adopted by Massachusetts Bay Colony and others. Okay, It was their, their document, their, kind of their constitution or their agreement of how they were going to live together as the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Verse 14, 15, and 16, please. You're in the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Okay, that, that was it. So, here it is, you are light. Now what's the point of a light? You can see it, okay? And you are like a city up on a hill filled with lights. It stands out and everybody walks around and looks at it. It's like when I'm in awe of, of the Council Bluffs, the big, huge sea of lights across there as I crossed that border and looked at that, there's that city. It stood out and made an impression. That's what Jesus is saying is, be a light. And how are you a light? What is that last verse? Verse 16 said it, I think. How do you let your light shine? Why do you let it shine? 
So that they can see your good works. Okay, so they see your good works. When John Winthrop came to this country, he said, this is what we're here to do. We are here to allow God's work to be seen. We are that city on a hill. Now, they're not up on a mountain. They're in Boston. Boston's right at sea level, okay? But he's talking about something different, which meant as a country, as, as this new world, as we cross into New England, we are given a new opportunity to live for God. And he meant it very, very specifically. He meant very specifically, this gonna, we're going to live for God. We're going to be a beacon for the world. And so, we as the world watch, you know, the world watches America. What's going to happen in that little country? First, it's Jamestown, little Jamestown settlement, and, and the pilgrims come up there and then Massachusetts Bay Colony starts to grow and Virginia starts to grow and then the colonies start to fill in as more and more people come there okay and by 1643 after he's been there and been the governor for 13 years already he was re-elected every single year for 19 years in a row as governor they loved him they wanted him. They wanted his leadership because what did he do? He, he did right. Made the people happy. He ruled righteously. He said, we're going to have justice. We're going to have mercy. And we're going to follow God. And that's simple. And that gave everybody freedom to do what they wanted and treat others well in the course of it. And I don't care if you're my enemy. I treat you well because I believe that I am to love my neighbor as myself. I mean to love my enemy, even. And so this begins a different core, a different existence. We as that little seed, we are planted as America with this righteous seed. Put it in there because people said, we're going to follow God over here. That's what we're going to do. And they did it, and God blessed it. That is what happened, all right? So, in New England's Confederation of States, all right, they put together a Confederation of States. Now, at the time, their Confederation of States were New Plymouth, not a state anymore, right? It was a colony, sort of. A, New Haven, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. Heard of those, right? So those are the four states, and they make a confederation when they grow large enough, and they write a document. And in that document, this is what is said in that document, and it comes right from Governor Winthrop, John Winthrop. This is what he says. Whereas we all came to these parts of America with the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel thereof with purities and peace, and for preserving and propagating the truth and liberties of the gospel. That's in their document that they agree, their governmental, governmental document, they put a confederation of states, we're here for the gospel of Christ. That's what it's written. That's what's there. That's why America from nothing was able to grow because God said, that's the motive I want. That's what I want to do. That's why we became a city on a hill because the gospel of Christ was preached and taught as a part of who we were. And how did we lose most of it? That's the good question. How did we lose many parts of it? Because many times... We became complacent. And also, people that want to do wrong fight against that. Who's going to fight big time if God says, I'm going to build a nation over here that is made for telling the gospel? Who's going to fight against that? Think big. 
Satan. Satan, right? He's going to say, oh, no, you're not. And God's going to say, oh, yes, I am. I'm going to create that. I am going to give you everything that I can throw at you. People are going to die when they get over there. People are going to be attacked by the natives when they get over there. People are going to have all kinds of issues. And God says, I'm going to protect them. Why didn't God ever kill Satan? There will be an end to his plan. Okay? Why God waited so long? That's a question that you can ask him someday. I don't know that. doesn't really say. But one thing is God is merciful. Another thing is God has given us opportunity because the time that evil ends, okay, is near the very end times, okay? At the very, very end. In fact, God is going to come back and God is going to crush Satan on this earth and lock him up for a thousand years, the Bible says. And in a thousand years, he lets him back out for a short time again. Why? I have no idea. Perhaps he's trying to test our resistance to temptation. People, some people will fall again with him in that. So there is a plan for God. And that's one thing I wanted to, to just... Finish up with this, the plan for God. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. As this goes in, it's perfect because God created this, this nation to be that light, that city on a hill that shines out by doing the right thing. We as America have stood excuse me, and become powerful not because we're smarter and not because we have better scientists or a better army. God has allowed those things to happen because of the motives behind where we began. And God blessed it. And God blesses those things for some time. And our nation continued in those motives. And as our nation gets that on that edge where they begin to throw things away and and evil begins to push harder and harder and harder against it, okay, then the more we let go of it, the more danger our country becomes in either just ceasing to exist or ceasing to exist as it is, all right? And we become slaves to many things, okay? Did we hand it over because of our laziness? That's one thing. Did we hand it over because, eh, we didn't really care about that. God wasn't important enough in our lives. Many other things. To these people, God was the core of why they came to where they came. They put their lives in danger so that they could have freedom to believe in God the way that they wanted. So why did they give most of it up? Well... Because people got lazy. People got, eh, it doesn't really matter that much. I've already got freedom. You take freedom for granted when you have it. These people fought for it and valued it. And now we just take it for granted. And we take it for granted. And that's something to be aware of as the generation. And I don't just mean you. My generation as well. And my parents' generation. All those people that didn't have to fight we were, we were given this country. And what are we going to do as a steward of a country? We can take care of it or not. All right, so here's, here's one thing to, to tie this together, how America was. And I think as God looked over the history, and I'm not prophesying anything, believe me. I'm just saying looking back in history and what God has done and with America, America was the largest uh, missionary center in the entire world. From America in the 1700s and the 1800s and in through the early 1900s, the majority of missionaries from around the world went pushed from America or through programs in America. The church was powerful and strong and believed to do that. How many missionaries now? That is a small and shrinking piece of what we do to tell others about Christ. So this is what I believe if you go to Matthew chapter 24, verse number... Oh, We'll start with verse number 
3 and or I mean verse number 4 and understand this is Jesus talking about the end times. People ask him, "How do you know the end times are coming?" Verse number 4 and we'll keep reading through verse number 14. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. And it shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive them. And because inequity shall abide love, and many small wax cold. But he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Okay, so this is God's end of his plan. He talks about a lot of things, things that may seem familiar to you in these days. Many signs, wars and rumors of wars. I heard there was 38 missiles at least this last weekend shot at Israel, okay, uh, from within the Gaza Strip, which is a long, long history of where the Philistines used to live, okay, and they didn't take it out. Uh, way, way back when, okay? So, happening all around the world, you hear about Russia and China and, and wars that are nearly right there on the edge, okay? Wars and rumors of wars. You see nations rise against nations. You see famines, pestilence. What's that? Troubles. Like, like strife. Deadly disease. Oh. Oh. Ever heard of one of those? How about a pandemic? Happening right now. There are many things, okay, God is doing this, and these are things across the world. So, like I said, there'll be there'll be things you'll see. Earthquakes in diverse places. You should look that up recently, okay? Alright. All these are the beginnings of sorrows, and then you'll be afflicted. You'll be hated for my name's sake, right? Hmm? Right? Held down, right? Because of what you believe, what you say. And many shall be offended. Oh. Right? <laughs> At anything and everything you say, right? Where this is the offensive culture. Everything is offensive, right? And not only that, shall betray one another, right? So you have a lot of betrayal going on, even within families and small groups of people, even in churches, okay? And shall hate one another. Is there hatred or is there not hatred, okay? I'm saying these are things that are coming, okay? Things that we'll see these signs. How intense can it get? I don't know that answer. I don't know, okay? False prophets, iniquity of many shall wax cold. So the love of many shall wax cold. So iniquity abounds, lots of doing wrong, and people will not have love for one another anymore, which was the core motive of what made our country free. Isn't that kind of right? starting to happen now? Absolutely. There's lots of things, lots of hatred out there in Especially this world. Lying, saying that Lots of things. I mean, it's not just that. There's right. There's 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 hundreds of things happening all at the same point. All right. And he that endures to the end will be saved. And then there was this verse, verse fourteen, which was the key to the point. What was the thing that had to happen before the end could come? That the kingdom. Okay. Everyone has to know. So, the gospel has to be preached to all nations. Why do you think America did so well? Because it actually cared about God back then. It didn't really have the seven deadly enemies of man. Because it was built on like the foundation of God. Built on the foundation of God. And didn't that fit in that plan? God says it's got to go to every nation. A hundred years ago, it was not in every nation. 
And now it's in some, but not all. Oh, I think it's in almost everyone. I do not know that 100% if with every single nation. Although most of the missionaries that I was talking about have been sent out and made that happen. So God blessed this core of what was happening and said, we're going to do this. That's how he becomes a city on a hill, right? You become what stands out to the world as the symbol of freedom. Why is it a symbol of freedom? Because this is where we started. That's where freedom comes from. And people lost that. They do not understand that freedom comes from the gospel. It comes from God's core law of liberty. When they take God out of it, the freedom has no more meaning anymore. God will end up cursing us instead of letting the blessing continue. All right. When your love is gone, the motive goes away. And it isn't just like peace, love, man. It is real, true, caring love. Okay? It is love that is godly love. It is love that puts others before yourself. Okay? It is not the love of, of the 60s, you know, it is the love of God, which is much, much older than any of that. Okay, to understand that is how you understand, you start to think about how our nation began, why God allowed it, and he said, I want everything preached to the world. Now, we're not the only nation that sent out missionaries. There are others. But we were a big piece in that, and God used our nation so the question is, will he use it again? Where do we stand? We are on the edge. Do we just say, eh, and walk away? That's up to you guys. That's up to my generation and your generation. Do we hand it away, what we had, or do we fight to keep it and say, let's go back to the core? If you understand where it comes from, you can fight for the core of how we got there. You can fight for real freedom. If you don't understand where we come from, love is that motive, right? Love is the motive. Hatred will never give us freedom, ever. It will shackle us and chain us, right? Love will give us true freedom, and that comes from God's perfect law of liberty, okay? So to get that, is, is key and important. And to know that a guy like John Winthrop who comes in, he's a governor, just one person in this whole thing, but he keeps God as the center of a big group of people, and that big group keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And, growing. and with that growth, eventually comes the power, the armies, the things we're able to do. Okay, we are not the largest nation in the world. Not by a long shot. If anything, we're like second, maybe third. I don't even think we're maybe third, fourth, something like that. India and China are way bigger than us. And yet India has so much COVID that almost every day so, 500 more people but, die. But why are we blessed? Why are we able to do it? Because we do defend or have many times defended freedom. Okay? For, for good reasons, many times. Not everything's been perfect. But... When we stand on this, God blesses it. That's just the truth of it. If you understand that, you will understand how things work, okay? And where freedom comes from. If you understand that, you can fight to continue it. Right? Thank you very much. Have a good day.